Hey, um, let's just pause for a minute. You know, I know that there, this has been a heavy week for a lot of people. I get to hear a lot of stories, and then, of course, so much going on in the world. So could we just pause, and, and I'll have just some silence, and you can lift up to Jesus whatever's on your heart before we jump into our message for today. So let's just start with a minute of silence and prayer. Jesus, we give you our burdens. You tell us that you care for us and, and we can cast our cares on you and there's many cares for all of us. In our own lives, in our families, our friends, for our city, for our country, for our world. God, we pray that you would draw close to the brokenhearted. God, that you would uh, be with those who are in harm's way. We think particularly of Israel and Palestine and of Russia and Ukraine. God, we we pray for peace and we pray that you, Jesus, would make a way where there seems no, to be no way. And so we, we give our hearts and our lives and our minds to you and, and we ask that in this short time that you would speak to us, that we'd be able to hear from you and most importantly that we would know how loved we are by you and we just pray, God, that you would be present with us now. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're continuing in our conversation the way of Jesus and ask this question about trains, but I, I really, trains are in my life all the time because I live in Northeast Minneapolis. If you come through here, you're going to see trains like this. They're everywhere in Northeast, and I love them. I think they're really cool. Um, for a little while, you know, you, you're, you think they're really neat and they're really fun until you get in an intersection. And then you're late. You're late for whatever you're going to. Um, but they're always coming over the, the, the bridges and all that kind of stuff. And for a little while, my husband J.D. and I lived in Marshall Terrace neighborhood. And that's the neighborhood that has this huge BNSF train yard. I brought a picture of it. And there's just tracks, like so many tracks. And so many trains are coming through there, hundreds. And then there's these stacks of these big, huge shipping containers. And they, those look cool, too. But they're always banging together all the time. And so if you live here, you start to just, like, the train noises, you don't even notice them anymore. And when we were living, like, really close to where all these, these stacks are, um, we had some friends from Florida come and stay with us. And the next morning, they were like, what happened in your neighborhood over the night? Like, what was going on overnight? There was all this banging and clanging, and is this, an, is this neighborhood safe? I mean, it was like a whole thing. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I couldn't figure out. I'm like, I heard nothing. Like, it was silent. But it wasn't silent. It was banging of the shipping containers. But because we have lived there so long and I've lived in Northeast so long, I don't even hear it anymore. It just kind of becomes commonplace. But for my friends, they were like, we literally don't understand what these noises are that we're hearing. And so this is interesting to me because I was thinking about this as we're in this part of our conversation, the way of Jesus. We're looking at the book of Mark. And this whole passage today is about listening. And this, this like passionate plea that Jesus gives in this very interesting way about listening, hearing. And when it comes to listening to God or being able to, to be in tune with the Holy Spirit's voice in our life, I feel like it's one of those things that for some of us, it's become kind of commonplace and we're not even hearing anymore. Even if maybe God is trying to say something because it kind of blends in. Or for other people, we, like my friends from Florida, we hear stuff, but we're just not really understanding, and it's overwhelming, and there's a lot going on, and so we don't really understand what it is that God might be saying to us. And then in addition to that, I think there's a lot of times for a lot of us where it's, 
if we're honest, we just say, I don't know if I hear anything from God at all. Does God even speak to us? Yet here we have this passage of Jesus passionately saying, listen, hear, understand. And so I want to say this today. This is a critical conversation because to live in the way of Jesus in the world, perhaps I would say listening to the Spirit might be one of the most essential skills in order to join in Jesus' mission of love in the world. Being able to listen to Jesus, being able to listen to the Spirit, listen to God, is one of the most essential skills in being able to join in Jesus' mission of love in the world. And so as Jesus, when Jesus here in our passage starts out with the word listen, I think that's probably what this passage is about, right? So we're going to see in our passage today that Jesus uses parables as a way to talk about this. And it's, it's interesting because parables, to understand them, you have to listen deeply to them to try to understand. And we'll talk about that today. And so we're going to see in this context that some people don't want to listen. This is what Jesus is talking about. Some people don't want to listen. Some people, they struggle to listen. And some people hear, but they struggle to understand. And I think that's common and similar for us today. But when there are people that listen and understand and respond, Jesus gives this beautiful picture of what happens and what it looks like to see what God is doing when you're able to listen to God. So we've been moving through Mark, uh, this gospel written by one of Jesus' early followers, John Mark, and we're now in chapter 4. So we've seen Jesus begin his ministry. He's baptized. He says the kingdom of God is near, and, and he's, he's speaking into this reality, and he says this is the good news that it's the reign of his kingdom, the kingdom of, of, of King Jesus. And then he calls his disciples, or we talked about them as apprentices, and he invites them to follow him. Uh, he's got these religious leaders that are pretty upset because they're feeling a lot of threats to his power, yet he's going around and he's healing people. He's setting people free. He has authority over demons, and he even empowers his disciples to have authority over the evil in the world. All of this has happened, and we are just at chapter 4. Mark packs a lot in. And so as we turn to chapter 4, we see this, this trend that Jesus has in his ministry throughout the Gospels of speaking in these parables, okay? And this is important for us to dig into this just a little bit. In this chapter, though, what I want you to pay attention to is that 13 times we see this word for listen or hear. And in Greek, it's, it is aku'u, and it's said 13 times in different forms. So I think it, we can safely say that that's what this passage is about. <laughs> it's about listening. Uh, listen or hear or understand is the word that is uh, put in 13 different times in different forms. So it's, it, as we dig into this, we're going to see Jesus is teaching in parables. Again, something that he commonly did. Jesus would tell these short stories. And sometimes they were entertaining. Sometimes they were intriguing and interesting. Sometimes they were just like beautiful word pictures that, God, that Jesus was talking about, about something that was true about God's kingdom. But here's the other reality. They can be pretty cryptic as far as their meaning. And so I don't know about you, but when I read these parables, I think if Jesus is, if listening is so important to Jesus, why doesn't he just speak plainly? Like, just say what you mean, man. I'm feeling like Midwestern vibes. Like, come on, just say, we're all there, we're in it together, we're working through it. Like, just say what you mean. Um, but he doesn't. And so it's pretty curious, and I want us to look deeper into why would Jesus not just say it plainly? Whenever you come to a parable in Scripture when you're reading, I want you to think of two things, okay? I want you to memorize this. The first thing is the meaning. What is the meaning behind this parable in that moment? What did Jesus mean when he was teaching the parable for the first time? What did he mean in, that, in the first century context? The second question is, what is the significance to us now? 
Because those are two different things. What did Jesus mean when he was speaking to the people who were listening? And then what is the significance to us today? And those are the two questions whenever you see a parable. So let's start with that. Let's start with the meaning. As we go in, we'll start looking at this parable in Mark 4. I'm going to start right in verse 2 or 3 here. Uh, Jesus is is teaching a crowd, it says, gathered around him. And this is what it says. He taught them many things by parables. And in his teaching, he said, this is how he starts, listen. (laughs) There's that word. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell along the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell amongst the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, sometimes multiplying 30 some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. All right, the same Greek word starts that. Listen and then hear. Jesus is bookending this story as he's telling the story. And it might be clearer if we were reading Greek today, that last sentence, whoever has ears, let them hear. Sounds kind of poetic. It's an imperative in Greek. So might I suggest that what a better translation would be, Whoever has ears better listen. Like it's an imperative. Like if you've got ears, listen up. Like this is what Jesus is saying. So if the first century Jewish audience was listening to this, if Jesus started with this word listen in Greek, which is the translation of the Hebrew word shema, any Hebrew person would perk right up because there was a very core and still is today a practice that Jewish families practice. And it's reciting what they call the shema, which means, again, Listen or hear or understand in Hebrew. And it's found in Deuteronomy 6. And this is what it says. Hear, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And that might sound familiar to you. It's the beginning of the passage of the Shema that we read during our child dedications here at Mel City. And so if you are practicing, one one of my good friends is a Jewish Christian. And she still every morning, every evening, recites the Shema with her kids and with her husband. And they say this phrase together. And it says that later in Deuteronomy, when you get up and when you go to bed, that you say this together. And so it would be a beautiful part of their life, and it still is today, to recite the Shema. It starts with Shema, or hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. So if Jesus is starting the story with the predominantly Jewish audience by saying Shema, or listen, everybody's going to go, whoop. Because that was something that was so core. Listening to God was a core identity factor for the people of Israel, for the people who followed Yahweh. And so when they heard Jesus start that way, they would have been clued right in. They would have felt what Jesus was saying at their core. And so I'll get back to the Shema in a minute, but let's look and, and see what Jesus continues to say as we round the corner to verse 10. Now, when he was alone... The 12, his closest disciples, and the others, so there's probably a little over 20 people together, men and women, they asked him about the parables. And he told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Now this seems kind of weird, right? Thank you. He's quoting Isaiah. They, they can see but never perceive. They can hear but never understand. 
Again, why isn't Jesus just speaking plainly? This is strange. As he's quoting Isaiah here, why not just be direct? Why not just say what you mean to say? Because then people can see, people can perceive, people can hear, and people can understand, and Jesus can continue on with his mission. But that's not what's happening. Jesus was trying to explain that the kingdom of God, the reign of King Jesus was coming, and it was not like all the other little kingdoms. And guess what happens when the kingdom of God, the supreme leader of all things, is coming on the scene? The leaders of the little kingdoms are going to get pretty upset about what that might mean for them. And they misunderstood what Jesus was doing as he was coming onto the scene. And so what we see is that Jesus is a new kind of king of a new kind of kingdom. And that, le- that story and what he's about to do is problematic for some and amazing for others and everything in between. And so I'm going to actually, our, our friends from the Bible Project, I did actually make a real friend from the Bible Project. That's a fact. So I used to say our friends, but it was like um, aspirational, but I made a friend. Um, so one minute clip, look at this beautiful description of this exact phrase from the Bible Project. Now, if this message of God's kingdom is so important, why cloak it in parables? Why not be more clear? Well, through riddles and parables, Jesus could make really bold claims that revealed truth to people who were open-minded. For those who have ears to hear, they could ponder it and go deeper. But the parables would also conceal his message from those who were against him so that he could buy more time. Buy time for what? Well, Jesus was preparing his closest followers for the greatest surprise yet. Jesus claimed that Israel's God was coming to rule over his people, not through coercion or violent force, but through self-giving love as he was going to die for their sins. But his death wasn't the end. Right. He said that his death would be like a tiny seed buried in the ground, but then it would grow and produce a crop with many seeds. Okay, so parables both conceal and reveal. Isn't that interesting? They both conceal and reveal, depending on who was listening. So when Jesus told this, that spoke of these four soils, the parable of these four soils, he had an audience that ranged from people who were hostile and dangerous to people who were interested but kind of confused to people who were enthusiastic supporters who were giving up everything to follow him and to join in what he was doing. And so Jesus uses both these parables both to conceal and reveal depending on who's listening. By telling the parables, he made this message that's kind of, he made it to be difficult to understand to people who didn't have a core openness to the kingdom. For people who didn't have a core openness to who he was, they weren't going to understand. So that quote from Isaiah is not a curse on people. It's just saying, hey, if you don't want to understand, you're not going to. But if they were willing to be open to what Jesus was doing, Jesus was a new kind of king of a new kind of kingdom, and only those who wanted to understand were going to understand. And that brings up a good question for us, right? Are we open to the new things that Jesus is doing? Are we open to the kingdom of God as we live and, and navigate all the little kingdoms? Are we open to what Jesus is doing? Will we hear and will we understand? So again, when we read the parable, we look for two things. The meaning, Jesus' original meaning, and then the significance for us today. So what was Jesus' meaning in this first story? What's kind of cool is that Jesus actually explains it in this parable. Unfortunately, he doesn't do that for most of them. That's a little bit of a bummer, but here we are. So we can actually see Jesus' explanation. So I'm just going to read his explanation. Remember, he's now uh, alone with his disciples, it said, not with the crowds. And he's explaining it to them because they are the people, the enthusiastic supporters who have given up everything. And so he explains it to them in verse 13. Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. 
Some people are like the seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away with the word that was sown in them. Others, like the seed, the second one, are sown on rocky places, and they hear the word, at, and at once they receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. Third one, then, still others, like a seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but listen to this, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. And then fourth, finally, others like the seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, they produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what is sown. And anyone in that agricultural society would have been like, 30, 60, 100? That's a miracle. That's something amazing. And so we see these four types of, of soil, and what he explains it right here. And at the end, he says that those who receive and are willing to take in what Jesus is doing, not only does it change their life, but it's fruitful in the lives of other people, 30, 60, 100 times. So Jesus makes it pretty plain what he means back then, which is pretty cool. But what does that mean for us? There's Jesus' meaning, but what is the significance for us today? Before I kind of dig into what I think the significance is, uh, I have to be honest is that the whole week as I was studying this, I kept thinking about all these conversations between my husband and I that turned into conflicts because of not listening to each other well. We're probably the only couple that really deals with that here, so... You know, nobody has any trouble with their roommates. It's just us, probably. But no, obviously it's common. So I, I he, he's in the tech booth, so he can't stop me from sharing these stories. But actually, he gave me permission. So here, here's a common story that happens with, G, with J.D. and I, my husband. Um, he, it can go either way. But he might come up to me, and he might say something like, uh, I don't know, reminding me of something. And I'll say, you never said that to me. You never told me that. And he's like, yeah, I did. And I'm like, no, you definitely did not. And then he'll say something like, we were sitting right here yesterday when I told you that. Right? But, but I don't have any memory of this. But it could go either way. And then there's these other conversation that we constantly have. And that is where JD decides to tell me what I said. <laughs> and I say, I never said that. And he's like, well, I know you didn't say those words. It was your vibe. And I'm like, are you kidding me right now? What do you mean my vibe? You know, and it's, it's funny because, you know, these are everyday conversations, but they can get us into a lot of strife, obviously. And sometimes it's the words that are said and that aren't said. Yeah, sure, every once in a while somebody forgets they didn't actually tell them, but most of the time what has actually happened? We weren't really listening. Like I wasn't really listening to JD. I heard the words coming out of his mouth. But I wasn't listening, and so it's like my brain erased some of what was even said. Or when he's assuming about my vibe without actually asking me what I mean, right? He can walk away because communication is not just verbal. He can walk away thinking something completely different than I hoped to communicate. And I really see this as true in our relationship with God as well. It's so easy for us to have ears to hear, but we don't truly listen. Like it's like we never heard from God in the first place, especially if what we think we might have heard might make us uncomfortable. Or when we listen, we don't press in to truly understand what it is that, that God is saying at a core, deeper level. And so when we look at chapter 4 of Mark, we see Jesus saying, listen, 13 times. What is the significance of that for us today? If we recognize that in our relationships. So I have three questions I want you to take with you. I'll put them up, all up on the screen here. Do we listen to God? Do we understand and respond? And will we stay present to what God is doing? Do we listen to God? 
Do we understand and respond, and will we stay present to what God is doing? So we'll spend a, little bit, a lot of time on the first one, a little bit on the second two. The first question, do we listen to God? Um, here's, there's, I, I'll say like over the last 20 or so years, I've had lots of conversations with people about trying to listen to God. Turns out, if it feels challenging to you, you are not alone. We're in this together. It's not easy in the world we live in to hear from God. However, I've noticed a pattern of some barriers that people seem to have to listen to God. These might not be your barriers, but here's the four most common barriers that I've noticed. The first one is this. God's voice is not what we actually want to hear. And it's just a good moment for us to pause and to think, I wonder if we would hear God's voice more often if God's voice is what we actually wanted to hear. Because if the God of the universe is trying to get our attention, then that is going to, I think the word is, require a response. And that might be difficult and challenging because I don't know about you, but I have plans, right? I got things I want to do. And it's like big things and little things and everything in between. And I like the feeling at least of control about things in my life, even if I know realistically I don't really have control. But I, I, I like to think like even little things like, oh, I can't wait to get home. I'm going to watch my favorite show on Netflix. I'm driving home, turn off the radio, listening to God, and I hear the name of one of those friends. <laughs> and I choose to listen to God and respond and text that friend. Turns out I spend that evening listening to my friend's burden, not the Netflix show I was hoping for, right? It's a little thing, but if you listen to God, it's going to change the plans, even the little ones. But do I trust God enough if God spoke to me about my friend to give me the rest that I also need? Might not be Netflix too, God might say, who knows. But like, do I trust God enough if God's prompting me to reach out to this friend that God will also get me what I need and it doesn't mean that I need to hold on to my plans and what would be different if I didn't listen? So I wonder if we would hear God's more often if God's voice is what we actually wanted to hear, even in those little things. So Jesus explains in that first soil and the second one kind of that there's, it's hard or it's rocky Later on, Jesus uses the term hard-heartedness as a way of talking about what happens when we aren't willing to listen to what God is saying. And we all struggle with hard-heartedness at times where we realize we, aren't, we don't even really desire to listen in this season of our life. And so I just want to encourage you, if you feel that that's you and it's something that you've experienced in your life, you know what? That's okay. But I believe that God can soften our hearts. That hard soil is connected to that, right? The hard, rocky soil. Just like, just like that in our life, if we ask the Holy Spirit, I believe that we can have softened hearts. And we can be empowered to not only hear, but to want to hear what God has to say. And that's where a lot of us need to start. Will it result in stepping into situations we weren't planning on? Yep. <laughs> Will it mean we have to confront parts of our hard-heartedness that we didn't even know we had? Definitely. But we will also have the chance to see the Spirit work in ways that we never would otherwise see. We'll have a chance to join in what God is doing in the kingdom coming in our midst in ways that we wouldn't have seen or understood or perceived the way that Jesus is talking about. The Spirit can give us a vision of how meaningful and purposeful life can be when we do choose to accept that, that soft-heartedness that we know God can give us. Okay, so, second barrier. We don't take the time to listen. This is an easy one for a lot of us to struggle with because things are full. Schedules are full. If we have a relationship with another human where they're doing all the talking and we're doing all the listening, or we're doing all the talking and they're doing all the listening, that's not going to go well, is it? Kind of practical. That might have been a word for somebody in, that needed to address that in a relationship right now, okay? Like, there's got to be both ways, right? And so I think we need to recognize that we can look and listen to God at any time. 
You don't have to have a time where it's quiet. You don't have to have a set apart time. Those are good. But you can also look and listen for what God is saying all the time in everyday surroundings. However, when you do have a, a moment where you're willing to stop and listen, even if you only have a couple moments, let me tell you, I have experienced that God will speak if we give that silence. Even if there's busyness around us, we choose that. In fact, I have a little handout for you. On the way out, there's some papers you can grab, or on the, the hub, you can see this resource for listening prayer. You can do it on your own or with other people. It's incredible when we even give a little bit of time to listen what we might hear. You might not hear something every time, but I encourage you to check into that. Okay, then the third barrier. Once again, I've seen these common in people's lives. We assume there are only certain ways that God speaks. We've decided how God speaks and doesn't speak. This is common for a lot of us. I've struggled with this as well. And what that means is we aren't paying attention when God is trying to get our attention. We're not paying attention in the, in the ways that God's trying to get our attention because we might be assuming some things. The word Shema in Hebrew means listen, but in Hebrew it also means pay attention. Pay attention. So hear, O Israel, listen, Jesus says. Pay attention. So here's a list of ways that I've compiled that God might speak, and maybe there's even more. But I've, I've experienced this. I've seen other people experience. God speaks through scriptures, through other community, others in community, circumstances, sometimes patterns that we notice and we realize it's not a coincidence. God can speak through our emotions. God can speak through dreams, through art, through music, through nature, through experiences, or significant life events where we might ask the question, God, what are you saying in the midst of this huge shift that I'm experiencing in my life? And I wonder if part of the hurdle for some of us is that we expect to hear from God only in the quiet moments, of which we have very few. And we maybe hope for like an audible voice or like writing on the wall or whatever. I don't know, but if you look in scripture, the, the audible voice thing is actually pretty rare. So if you've heard an audible voice, you're amongst the rare. And I think we can all agree nobody wants a repeat of the creepy hand on the wall. Like that happened in Daniel 5. No, creepy. I'll take any of these other ways first, okay? But are we open to the different ways that God might speak in our lives? Okay, finally, number four, barrier. We're surrounded by so much noise. And this is not something we can fix. I'm not even telling us to do that. I'm just saying that we know that things are coming at us all the time. The notifications, the, the sounds, the radio, the news, all the things, right? And then I just call it like the, the total communication nightmare is what we live in in 2023. Like, is it not a communication nightmare? Everybody's like sliding into all the different things trying to communicate. There's so much noise. And so what I want us to encourage us to think about is that we can actually choose to limit the noise. We do have agency to choose that. Sometimes we forget. We can decide we don't need everybody's opinion on that issue going on in the world today. We can choose where we need to get that information. We can give that to God, and we can pray, and we can move through. We don't have to consume, consume, consume. We can choose, surprisingly, to turn off the radio in the car. We don't have to have the podcast. We don't have to have the things. You know, I, I understand there's barriers to that, and there's the kids and all the things. I'm just saying, is there agency that you do have to turn down some of the noise? And I think the enemy sometimes says, no, just consume more stuff. What would that look like for us? Jesus says in verse 18, these seeds are sown amongst thorns, and he's using this idea of weeds, right? And people kind of debate, like, what's a weed and what isn't? Listen, we all agree. A weed is when something is growing there that you don't want there that's crowding out the things you actually want to grow. And that's what happens in most of our lives. Okay, so that's the first one. Do we listen to God? Question. The second question, do we understand and respond? 
Jesus is kind of making that clear. That's the second thing. Like, you might hear, you have ears, but did you hear and did you understand? And then you did, did you respond? Cool thing. Third definition of Shema is also respond. Listen, pay attention, and respond. Hebrew words are very beautiful like that, like a picture. And so when people would pray the Shema every day, they know what they're doing is they're reminding themselves, I need to listen, I need to pay attention for what God is saying, and I need to be prepared to respond. We have a tool that we love to use here in talking about listening and responding, and it's on the handout that you can get to, but just look at this up on the screen here. We call it the response circle or the Cairo circle. Think of like that X is like a moment where you hear something from God through any one of those ways. You're not even maybe totally sure if it's from God. But then you choose, do I want to just keep going or do I stop and listen? Observe. What is it that God's saying? What, what exactly was that? How did I experience that? Reflect. Why might God be trying to get my attention? That's kind of important. And then this is the hard one. Discuss. Not with yourself. Not even only with the spirit of Jesus. But with other people. I think the biggest barrier, there's one big barrier in my opinion to understanding what we hear, and it's that we think we can do it on our own most of the time. And that's hard for us. You can, you can. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying we were wired by God to understand what God is saying together. And so who can you discuss that with that you trust? And so that's what listening looks like. I like to stop at discuss. Feels like I did something. But you actually have to do something. And then you respond. So what's the plan? Maybe it is, hey, I feel like God's saying, like, turn, you don't have to have the radio on all the time. That's a small thing, but if God's saying that to you, like, let's listen. The plan is, okay, tomorrow, this week, I'm going to turn the radio off whenever I'm in the car. If I don't tell somebody that, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to be honest. That's what account means. But if I tell Pastor Ashish, guess what? I'm going to do this all week. I'm not going to have the radio on in the car. Much more likely to do it because we're, we see each other regularly, and then I can act. And guess what then? You just continue on. I could, some of you know I could talk about this for a long time, but this is a helpful tool to say it's not just listening, it's also responding. So you can see there's more written about that on the handout on the, on the blog or grab that piece of paper on the way out. And so that's this understanding and respond. It has to be intentional. It has to be intentional. All right, finally, last question. Will we stay present to what God is doing? Will we stay present to what God is doing? So in Mark, uh, it's actually kind of cool. Jesus is telling the story about these seeds. And then he tells more stories about plants. Okay, he's really into plants at this time. And so at the end of, the, of Mark 4, he tells two more stories about plants. The first one is a story of a guy who plants a seed, and he does the work to plant it. And then he says basically whether or not that guy stays awake to watch the seed grow or goes to sleep, the seed's still going to grow. Right? And then the second story is the one of a mustard seed. It's very tiny, but it can grow into be this huge plant. He's actually kind of hyperbolic. This huge tree that, that birds can sit in its branches. What is Jesus meaning then? What is his meaning? He's trying to say that these stories represent the fact that humans do join in, but God is the one that makes things grow. And so that significance for us today is that we don't have to be in charge of making things grow. We don't have to be in control of that. We get to listen and to respond. We don't bring the kingdom of God, but if we had pay attention, we get to join into it. Jesus is the one that makes things grow, and that's what we get to do is to stay present to that, to pay attention to what God is doing around us. Whatever God is doing is always bigger than us. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times. And there is so deep, such deep purpose, such profound meaning in living a life of listening and responding to God. 
but it's something that we have to practice, like a muscle that gets stronger. And I've experienced so many times in my life when I haven't been listening, but then I've got a big decision to make, and we just expect to turn the voice of God on and off like a switch. It's an everyday thing, listening and responding to God. Um, I just want to close with a story of what this has looked like for me trying to listen to God in my life in the last few years. Actually, my husband J.D. and I, uh, we, this is a personal story, but we've agreed to, to be able to share this with people in our life because it's, it's a very good example of what it looks like for us to listen and respond to God. So we've been married for about six and a half years. And so when we got married, I'm just going to put it this way. We were closer to middle age than a lot of people are when you get married, okay? That meant some blessings. That meant some burdens. One of those was just that we both had been adulting for a while, and we had to figure out how to adult together, you know, but we had different decisions we had to make as we were joining our lives together. And a big decision that we had to make relatively quickly, biologically, was whether or not we were going to have kids. And so we took this circle and we said, all right, let's start listening to God. For us, this was something that we wanted to know, is this a calling in our life? Bringing a human into the world is a big deal. And so we want to listen and respond to God about this. For two years, we went around this circle. We brought people into the discussion. And we went back and forth and we wondered things and we listened and we heard from God in lots of different ways. Long story short, we did come to the conclusion that we weren't going to have kids. Now here's the thing. Some people don't understand that process. <laughs> That's confusing. Isn't it about just what you want or what you don't want? No. It's about is God speaking to us? Is God inviting us into something? And so for us, it was very intentional. And some people don't understand that. And that's okay. Maybe some of you don't. That's okay. And it's been challenging, I'll be honest. Some people don't consider how listening to God was so core for us when it came to this decision. Because it wasn't just about what we want or what we don't want. And here's why. We knew that the question wasn't if we were going to start a family. It was going to be what does family look like for us. And that's a question we're going to always be asking. I hope you're all asking that, whether you have kids or not. What is family going to look like for us? And that meant even more listening, didn't it? And so even though there was one no... That question means there was a lot of yeses. There were some very specific yeses. One of them was, and it still is, to spend time intentionally with young adults as they're coming into the season of adulting in their life. We love to be able to be those people who are available. And we get to say yes to that. Another yes that we've been able to give is to be able to have people live in our home with us. And so for most of our marriage, we've had a housemate. And that's something we plan on doing long term in different seasons of life. And then the final yes, and maybe the most important one, was that we felt called to some specific families who had really young kids, and we were going to say to them, and we did say to them, we feel called to be intentional with you and to participate and support you in this season of, of raising these young kids. Um, of course, my biological niece and nephew, but then some other kids as well. And so we talked to those parents, and let me tell you, uh, there has been some challenges. Any parent in here would tell you. <laughs> most kids have challenges. A couple of these kids have some pretty significant challenges. And it's so important that we made such a clear decision that we were called because we've had to show up. And we are committed to continue to show up. We are here for it because that was a yes that we said, right? But it's not only that, man, we have received so much from being in a relationship with these families and these little kids. I think about Jesus calling those little kids up to his lap and saying, the kingdom of God belongs to these kids. And I see that, I experience that when I'm with the kids in my life and with so many of your kids. It's so incredible. I have gained more than I will ever give back. I am honored to be in their life and to be the person that picks up the phone when those parents call and they need to talk about something or be the person that shows up in an emergency, whatever the case may be. I see the kingdom of God coming all the time in these little lives. I like to call them passionate little future world changers. 
The passionate part sometimes looks like a tantrum, but that's fine. The passionate world changes. It's changed our lives. What happened when we said one no meant that we also said thousands of yeses. And we're still saying thousands of yeses. We had to let go of what we just want or what we might want our life to look like because it's not our call. We had to release what it means that people won't always understand listening and responding to God in this situation or many others in our life. But I'm telling you, there's no other way that I would choose to live than listening and responding to God and trusting God and recognizing that at the end of the day, the people we trust the most and listening to the Holy Spirit is the way we're going to do it. And I encourage you, what's that next step for you? We're going to even just take a minute. Asha's going to come up, just play some music to start off just to create a little bit of space. Even right now, in just a couple minutes, I believe God can speak to you. What might God be saying and how might you respond? It's okay if that's a hard thing for you and it's going to take some, some courage, it's going to take some perseverance, but I encourage you, even just right now, just to take a little, few minutes of listening before we go into our time of communion. What is God saying to you and how might you respond? <laughs>